Hello, it's Thursday, the 22nd of December, and welcome to Career 24. I'm your host, Kwon Jang-woo. Rival parties have reached an agreement on next year's budget bill, and it's set to be passed at the National Assembly on Friday. We'll have more details in news briefing shortly. President Yoon sung yeols approval rating jumped above 40% for the first time in six months this week. We discuss what factors might have led to this rise for Korean politics digest today. And then coming up for Explore Korea, our arts and culture critic discusses how art could play a role in cultivating a more inclusive Christmas. We have all that and more on today's Career 24. The deadlock has been broken. Rival parties have reached an agreement on the 2023 budget bill one day before the extended deadline to pass the legislation was reached, an ultimatum set by the Assembly Speaker. Mm-hmm. For more on the agreement and the compromises that have been reached, as well as the rest of the day's headlines, uh, KBS World Radio News Editor Koo Hee-jin joins us in the studio now. Hee-jin, hello. Hello, jang So this was some late breaking news, so more details could come out overnight. But what was announced and what do we know so far? Well, the two parties reached an agreement on next year's budget bill on Thursday on the eve of a deadline set by National Assembly Speaker Kim Jin-pyo. Floor leaders of the ruling People Power Party and the main opposition Democratic Party announced the deal at the National Assembly along with Finance Minister Chu Kyung-ho. The 2023 budget bill will be put to a vote at a plenary session in Parliament at 6pm on Friday. The breakthrough came as parties narrowed differences on the thorny issue of a corporate tax break, agreeing to Kim's compromise of a one percentage point cut to 24%. They also agreed to cut the government's proposed budget by 4.6 trillion won and halve an expense budget for the new police bureau under the Interior Ministry and a person Information and Management Division in the Justice Ministry. They also agreed to a two-year grace period for a new tax on profits from financial investment and to increase allocation for public rental housing projects by 660 billion won. Yes, so the agreement has been reached and the bill is expected to be passed at the National Assembly tomorrow, Friday. In other political news, prosecutors have summoned the main opposition Democratic Party chairman, Lee Jae-myung, for questioning as part of a bribery allegations probe. This prompted the DP to lash out and condemn the move as political oppression. So, Hee Jin, first, what can you tell us about the summons itself? Well, the Songnam branch of the Suwon District Prosecutor's Office issued the summons for Lee to appear for questioning next Wednesday in relation to its investigation into third-party bribery charges against Lee. Now, Lee is suspected of taking donations worth some 16 billion won or approximately 12.5 million US dollars from companies including Tusan and Naver through Songnam FC between 2014 and 2016 as the football club's de facto owner while serving as the mayor of that city. In return, the firms allegedly received business favours such as building permits. The DP slammed the prosecution and the government over the move and, and the DP leader Park Hong-gun on Thursday called the order regrettable and added that summoning the leader of the main opposition party and uh, President 
Yoon Sung Yeol's former opponent in the presidential election is clearly a concerted attempt by the administration to eliminate a political opponent. As for the DP chair Lee, he echoed similar sentiments during a meeting with the public at his hometown in North Gyeongsang province on a Thursday, and he said getting rid of him does not mask the injustice and incompetence of the ignorant Yoon Sung-yeol administration. The park is mulling on possible response options to that notice. And what of the response from the ruling People Power Party? Well, the ruling PPP has urged the opposition and its leader to accept the summons and appear for questioning. PPP chief spokesperson Yang Gumi said in a statement urging Lee to face the truth, adding that Lee may try to hide behind the opposition's majority in parliament for a while, but that truth will always come to light. PPP lawmaker Kim Gi-hun, running for the party's chairmanship, shared similar sentiments on Facebook, mocking Lee's current nationwide tour, noting that now is not the time to meet the people and listen, but rather to meet the prosecutors and confess. So once again, the prosecutors' questioning is scheduled for next Wednesday. Tensions will likely ratchet up till then, and we'll see if he does appear for questioning in the end. Moving on to the latest in mask policies, health authorities plan to downgrade a nationwide indoor mask mandate to a recommendation once they see COVID-19 indices reach acceptable levels. Uh, Can you give us the latest details? Well, according to ruling PPP policy chief Song Yeo-jong on Thursday, the government unveiled the plan during a bipartisan consultative meeting. Some of the key factors under consideration include signs that the latest wave is slowing down, as well as the number of critical cases and deaths. High-risk facilities such as nursing homes, hospitals and welfare centres, however, will be exempt from the, uh, these relaxed rules. The PPP policy chief said his party asked the government to be more decisive and prompt in lifting regulations in consideration of the declining severity of variants, concerns over uh, children's speech impediment and herd immunity. The ruling party also delivered expert consensus that the nation's healthcare system can withstand any future waves of infections once they lift the mask mandate. Uh, The government will likely announce changes to that mandate in Friday's meeting of the Central Disaster and Safety Countermeasures headquarters based on the two-way discussions. And speaking of infections, new COVID-19 cases reached the 70,000 range on Thursday, with the number of critical cases hitting the highest level in some three months. So can you give us the latest? Well, the Korea Disease Control and Prevention Agency on Thursday reported 75,744 infections, including 73 from overseas, bringing the country's cumulative caseload to some 28,466,000. The number of critically ill patients rose by 35 from the previous day to 547, the highest in 100 days since September 13th. Uh, Meanwhile, quarantine authorities tightened inspections of travellers entering the nation from China amid an alarming spike in infections in the neighbouring country. KDCA said on Wednesday that it added China to its list of what it termed as target inspection countries last Friday. Under such measures, travellers from listed countries with temperatures exceeding 37.3 degrees Celsius are required to undergo PCR testing, as are their travel companions. 
And finally, heavy snow is expected to hit the Chungcheong and Jeolla provinces as well as Jeju Island through Christmas Eve on Saturday. So can you update us on the forecast? Well, heavy snow is expected to hit Chungcheong and Jeolla provinces. Um, and the Korea Meteorological Administration said inland areas of Chungcheong provinces will see 5 to 15 centimetres piling up until Saturday, while more than 30 centimetres of snow is expected to pound parts of Jeolla provinces. More than 50 centimetres of snow is forecast for the mountainous areas of Jeju Island. The weather agency said 3 to 5 centimetres of heavy snow per hour is forecast for the three regions on Thursday and Friday. The mercury is forecast to dip further on Friday with morning lows of minus 14 degrees Celsius in Seoul. The cold snap will likely let up starting Sunday. That's all for our news briefing today. He didn't thank you for those updates. Thank you. President Yoon sung yeols approval rating jumped into the 40% range for the first time in six months this week. According to the pollster, his moves to reform the labour, education and national pension systems, as well as his declaration to scrap the so-called Moon Jae-in care policy of expanding the national health insurance coverage, are said to have contributed to this rise. He has also coincided with his decision to suspend morning Q&A sessions with reporters since last month. To analyse his improving poll numbers for Korean Politics Digest today, we have two guests joining us on the line now. First, we have today Professor Song Se-ryeon from Kyung University. Professor, hello. It's good to have you back. Hello. Thank you. And we also have today a new contributor for the Digest. We have Koo Se-ung, co-founder and publisher of Korea Exposé, an online magazine that covers Korean politics, culture and society. Mr. Koo, hello. It's a pleasure to have you with us today. Thank you for having me. Okay, let's look at the details of this poll first. Commissioned by Media Tribune, it was conducted by RealMeter on 2,509 adults nationwide from December 12th to the 16th. 41.1% of respondents positively assessed Yun's conduct of state affairs, compared to 56.8% who gave a negative response. As we said, it is the first time in six months that his approval numbers have gone above 40%. Uh, the survey has a confidence level of 95%, with a margin of error of plus or minus two percentage points. So, Mr. Ku, let me start with you today. What factors uh, do you think contributed to the rise in his approval ratings? I think we have to really look at a broad spectrum of factors. Um, you certainly mentioned the pledge to carry out certain reforms and especially doing away with the expansion of the health care. In the last two months, we have also seen um, two significant developments. One is the massive collapse of real estate prices, which have been a source of concern for many Koreans for the last several years. We've also had the incident in Itaewon where um, uh, many people lost their lives during the Halloween crush, as I'm sure many listeners know. And um, since then, we have seen, you know, in, in some ways, politics as usual, a lot of finger-pointing and blaming over what is the reason behind all this. But 
in the end, I think uh, I would tentatively conclude that Yun Sogyol and his party, Kuminahim, have benefited from some of these developments. Mm. Professor Song, what about you? What do you read into uh, President Yun's improving poll numbers? Well, the improved number is still not a stellar number. Um, but uh, I think what people perceive as a act of governing uh, seems to be uh, 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 kind of showing these days, especially the, the uh, looking at their truckers union, I2I, and uh, seemingly win, and also televised dialogue about the, the uh, vision and the strategies policies going forward. I think people see that as a, something the president should do. Mm. So in that sense, uh, it is positive. Uh, I, I think they're also helped by the, the, the scandals and the kind of difficulties that the opposition party is uh, dealing with. So in that sense, they get the, the, the benefit from uh, the, the mess that is happening on the other side. Hmm. Uh, Mr. Ku, Professor Song mentioned there also the uh, the trucker strike, uh, the hardline stance that the Union administration has taken uh, against the trucker strike. Uh, they've declared uh, it as a win, essentially. How much do you think that's uh, played into his improv- improving poll numbers? No, I think the professor is right to point this out. Um, the opinion in South Korean society over labor unions and labor action has not been especially positive in the last several years. And, um, while you could argue that there is sympathy for the plight of individual workers, uh, massive labor action of this kind certainly has not been uh, reported very positively by the media or received especially well by the public. And the fact that the government took a very strong line on this certainly has helped the popularity of the current administration, I would argue. Mm. Uh, Professor Song, so the improvement in the imp- approval ratings came also as President Yun suspended his daily encounters with reporters last month amid the uh, controversial acrimony between the presidential office and the broadcaster NBC over a dispute over the broadcaster's, broadcaster's coverage of the president. Do you think this suspension of the daily sessions has factored into the president's approval ratings as well? Well, I do think so. Uh, uh, not in a big scale, but uh, impromptu interviews are very difficult to begin with. And it was a big risk to, uh, for uh, the novice uh, president, uh, President Yoon. So definitely his misstatements and awkward moments uh, are not, and uh, the news. So uh, in that sense, there, there are uh, uh, less things to kind of complain about in terms of styles and and what the, the president says. And um, I, I think it's in 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 that sense, it's it's a case of eliminating risks without much trade off. Hmm. Mr. Ku, what about you? Do you think the a suspension of the daily press briefings has perhaps uh, eliminated uh, risks as uh, Professor Song has, has described it? It certainly couldn't have hurt. Um, if anybody has been following uh, Yun Sogyal's performance during these uh, daily briefings, um, to, to be fair, it was atrocious. Uh, he is um, 
one might say he's direct, but on the other hand, you could say he's very prone to blunders. Um, um, he has a penchant for saying just what he wants without really thinking about the consequences of his words. So not having those occasions for the media to pick on um, couldn't have, have hurt him at all. Hmm. Yes, Professor Song, uh, P- President Yun, he, uh, many of his critics would say that he has been prone to gaffes or saying some other controversial statements uh, in these morning press briefings. But still, uh, President Yun had promised more interaction with the press as a campaign pledge. And one of the reasons cited for moving the presidential office to the uh, Yongsan compound was also to be closer to the press and therefore uh, the public. Uh, with the cancellation of these uh, morning uh, press briefings, is that could that be seen as a, a sign that he's uh, going against uh, what he promised? Well, I, I don't necessarily think so. I mean, he can think of or implement many other different ways of communicating with people, uh, especially the televised uh, the the announcement of his policies and dialogue with people. At least it's it's positive. It's it's a staged, uh, I wouldn't say it's scripted, but uh, you can think of uh, many different ways to open up the dialogues. However, uh, I do think that the, the bigger issue is that the context in which the President Yoon talked about, the moving to Yongsan and doorstepping and so on and so forth, is to move away from the imperial presidency a kind of stigma that uh, he wanted to dispel but uh, to, to, the, to this day, I don't think people would say that the president has uh, done much about, you know, dispelling that image. It seems like he's more uh, of a, a kind of absolute force within the party. And what he deems as not uh, desirable, it seems like he goes uh, hard after it. So uh, in this sense, I think we have to see more of policy changes to to uh, see that, that the imperial presidency is uh, uh, either fixed or ameliorated. Mm. Mr. Ku, uh, as we said, uh, President had promised more interaction with the media, but now that his uh, approval ratings have gone up and that they've coincided with the suspension of the morning Q&A sessions, it seems uh, that uh, we perhaps won't be seeing uh, those uh, morning Q&A sessions returning anytime soon. Uh, would you agree? They haven't officially been uh, cancelled or scrapped. Uh, they've just been suspended for now. But uh, do you think they could resume at any point? I mean, they can always come up with a reason as to why they don't want to do it in the future. And um, if this interpretation that we're pushing for, that the suspension of the briefings has helped him politically, is in fact true, then, of course, the presidential office has no reason to wade into this water again. I mean, you talked about the importance of maybe sotong or communication for the president or the interaction with the media. But in the end, uh, communication is something that many Korean presidents <coughs> promise when they come into office. This was also true for President Moon Jae-in before. And that's why Moon Jae-in made a pledge to move his office to Gwangamun. It didn't really happen for logistical reasons. And, um, and Yoon Seok-yeol has also justified his move to Yongsan for the same reason as well. But in the end, how many Korean voters 
really care about this pledge in the end. Um, mm. I don't think the support rate really is so closely tied to the perception that the president is communicating or not. Mm. In a related topic, it's still unclear whether President Yun is going to be holding a New Year's press conference or instead just address the nation through policy briefings. An official from Yun's office said on Tuesday that while no date has been set for the press event, the president has delivered his policy vision for the new year during last week's nationally televised Q&A session with citizens on the administration's state tasks. Uh, Some critics are saying that if he chooses to skip the press conference, the move will be seen as him uh, refusing to communicate with the media again. Uh, But Mr. Ku, what's your take on this criticism? The New Year's press conference, um, is this actually a regular occurrence or is this something that the president can choose to do? I would say it's actually the latter. Um, if we want to make issue of how often the South Korean president communicates with the media, then we, let's look at Moon Jae-in. He is supposed to have held eight press conferences where he actually answered questions, two of which were related only to North Korea. And when you look at Park Geun-hye before that, then we are talking about maybe three. And according to this YTN research that I'm looking at, uh, In Young-bak before then maybe had 10 press conferences where he answered questions. So um, as to whether Yoon holds this conference or not is perhaps not the most important thing when he wants to sustain the political momentum as he's taken on. Um, What we need to look at is... Uh, as the professor said earlier as well, the, the policy matters and the performance of the opposition, these are the things that would really make a difference in the year to come, maybe not whether this press conference actually takes place. Hmm. So, Professor Song, what do you mm-hmm. make of this then, the relationship between uh, the president and the media? We're talking about uh, how many times he holds these sorts of press conferences or whether he'll be holding a New Year's press conference or not. But uh, is that the point? I mean, what do you think is, uh, you talked about how it should be talking about policies more. Uh, but what do you make of uh, this debate that we keep having about President Yun and his press conferences? Well, you got to have it both ways. I mean, you got to have the content, but uh, if the president uh, is to be true to his pledges, uh, he has to talk more to to people, and uh, what better way is there uh, than to talk to the press? I, I think at this point, it's a case where the President Yoon has not found his voice as president, uh, talking comfortably to the media and you know, unassuming about his authority, but instead uh, be very friendly to to the media uh, to his show to show his style. Uh, I think he's still a, a, a viewed as a a prosecutor's office head rather than the president. Uh, the way he he thinks and seems like he's uh, taking things as a command and control kind of issues rather than you know, uh, uh, talking to the nation as somebody who would uh, cajole cajole and uh, lead the whole uh, country, not just his own supporters. Mm. So in that sense, he has to work on what is my voice, how how I should approach it, and 
uh, how I should uh, give the press uh, an opportunity to be his, uh, not the mouthpiece, but uh, something that will show the rest of the country that he is comfortable talking about, uh, you know, policies and also sundry things uh, Mm. with, with the public and also the press. And then finally then, Mr. Ku, uh, as someone who has uh, run a media outlet, would you have any advice that you would give to the president or something you'd like to see from the president on the presidential office in terms of uh, communication with the media? Well, I'm I'm glad that we can address this issue because, um, in fact, the way that his office has been dealing with the media is very traditional. They give out, uh, they they make big stories about uh, his performance and how much he cares, how much he communicates, and then and then when he suspends things, then they try to put a positive spin on it by saying that, um, yeah, maybe it's going to continue in the future. But still, they are giving plenty of ammunition to the media to attack him or criticize him on various grounds. Um, they need to think a little more carefully before he executes any decision as to how this will be reflected in the media coverage. I think with the, the standoff with the NBC that we briefly touched on is an interesting example. Um, the fact that he got into dispute with NBC itself was maybe not as big a story as how his team um, barred NBC from boarding a presidential plane for international uh, coverage. That was actually a bigger story, one that was also picked up on by the foreign media and led to criticism from some foreign correspondents covering Korean issues as being an attack on freedom of speech. So they need to see how whatever decision they make will be played out in the larger media environment, not just within Korea, but overseas as well, because that has an effect of being reflected back in the way Korean media covers President Yoon Suk-yeol. Well, in the meantime, we'll see whether he does or does not go ahead with that uh, New Year's uh, press conference. But for today, that's where we're going to leave it. We've been speaking to Professor Song Se-ryeon and Ku Se-yong from uh, Korea Expose. Thank you both for your time today. Thank you. Thank you very much. Welcome to the Korea 24 Stock and Forex Update. The benchmark Korea Composite Stock Price Index rose 27.78 points, or 1.19% on Thursday, closing the day at 2,356.73. The tech-heavy KOSDAQ also rose, gaining 9.32 points, or 1.32%, to close the day at 715.02. On the foreign exchange, the local currency strengthened 9.51 against the dollar, ending the day at 1,276.21. You can check Korean stock and forex closings at world.kbs.co.kr. Next up, it's Korea Trending, our daily segment looking at some of the other news headlines that have been trending online in Korea today. And for that, we have joining us in the studio now, Diane Yu, to bring us those stories. Diane, hello. It's good to see you. Hello, Jango. It's good to see you. Okay, so what topics do you have for us today? 
First, we'll go over U.S. President Joe Biden's announcement of providing additional military aid to Ukraine. Next, we'll talk about a South Korean NGO which might be forced to cease operations due to a controversy over an alleged buildings dispute. And we'll finish with a heartwarming story of police officers in Busan, southeast of Seoul. Okay, so we start with the Ukrainian President Zelensky's trip to Washington. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us more? So U.S. President Joe Biden and Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky held a summit at the White House on the 21st and discussed support measures following the prolonged Russian invasion of Ukraine. The meeting between the two leaders was held in line with the 300th day of the Russian invasion of Ukraine and lasted for over two hours. This was the first time the Ukrainian president has visited a foreign country since the invasion began. His last visit to the U.S. was in September last year. In a joint press conference held after the meeting that day, the U.S. president vowed to support Ukraine, saying that he will continue to support the Ukrainian people as long as it takes, and further adding that the U.S. will, quote-unquote, do everything in our power to ensure that Ukraine will be victorious in its war against Russia. Yes, and the amount President Biden promised was the biggest economic aid the U.S. has given Ukraine so far, right? right? How much right. was it and what does the aid package include? So President Biden said the U.S. will provide $1.8 billion, or about $2.3 trillion won, in additional military assistance for Ukraine, including a transfer of the Patriot Air Defense System. Here, the Patriot Air Defense System is one of the most advanced defense systems, which protects against aircraft, crews, and ballistic missiles. Also, in a separate statement, Secretary of State Anthony Blinken said the financial assistance includes a $1 billion transfer to provide Ukraine with expanded air defense and precision strike capabilities and $850 million in security assistance. Okay, and how did the Ukrainian president react to this announcement? Uh, President Zelensky expressed his gratitude for the U.S. military support, including the Patriot system, saying, quote unquote, I am very grateful for all the help and support for Ukraine, and added that the Patriot system will be a key step in strengthening the Ukrainian military's defense capabilities. When asked about his thoughts on ending the war, Zelensky said his country would never surrender its war against Russia and added, Quote, I cannot compromise my country's territory, sovereignty and freedom just for the sake of peace, end quote. President Zelensky kept his visit to Washington by addressing a joint session of Congress, urging for the continued support for his country. Yes, this additional support will, of course, be welcome news for Ukraine, but it also means that this conflict uh, is going to prolong well into the new year as yeah. well. Let's move on to our second story for today. What do you have for us? The Dail Welfare Foundation's Papa Share Movement, which has been supplying warm meals to the underprivileged for the past 35 years, is facing a conflict that might force it to suspend its operations. The conflict in question is about a previous dispute concerning an unauthorized extension of the Papa building. Supposedly, this is this dispute had been settled with the city of Seoul er earlier this year, but the issue has now resurfaced with a new head of Dongdaemun district that has recently come into power. Dongdaemun district announced that it would impose a compulsory penalty of 280 million won, or about $220,000, if the charity fails to take down the extension. Okay, so this charity is uh, one that has been, as you said, supplying warm meals 
uh, to the underprivileged for 35 years. Mm-hmm. Can you give us more of a recap, though, on what happened earlier this year to provide the context uh, of this latest development? Right. So since last year, the Papa Sharing Movement has been carrying out construction to expand the organization's existing facility to make space for storing food, a waiting area, and resulting uh, resting space for the elderly. However, in December 2021, the Seoul Metropolitan Government accused the founder, Pastor Cheito, of conducting illegal construction, claiming that that the construction was an unauthorized extension of the city's property. The Papa building has been sitting on the city's land since 2009 after it was forced to move from its previous location. Regarding this, Pastor Che protested, saying that it was an issue already discussed with the district office, though that's how the controversy arose. At the time, social criticism against the city intensified, so Seoul's mayor, Oh Se-hun, stepped in. The problem was solved when Papa agreed to donate the building to Seoul City. And now with the new Dongdaemunggu chief, Yi uh, Pilhyung, they're saying that there was no official agreement on the matter, right? Right, and the district officials are saying that they had no choice but to take executive action as there was an increasing number of civil complaints from the people living near the location of Papa. The Tile Welfare Foundation has requested an interview with the chief Lee six times to resolve the issue, but Yi has not given his response yet. So we'll have to wait and see how this story plays out and what decision will be made. Right, the civil complaints you mentioned reportedly came from residents living in nearby mm-hmm. apartments. Although it hasn't been explicitly stated, uh, there seem to be concerns over how the expansion might affect real estate prices right. in the district. So it is an unfortunate situation. As you said, it will see how the dispute plays out. Mm-hmm. Now let's look at one more story for today. What else do you have for us? It's a story about a woman who was caught stealing daily necessities from an unmanned store. But once the police found out about her unfortunate situation, they decided to help her out. According to the Busanjin police station, 16 cases of thefts occurred at an unmanned store in Pomchondong, Busanjinggu for a week, starting from the beginning of this month. The stolen items were all daily necessities such as ramen, rice, and bottled water, and the total amount was only around 80,001, or about $63. Right, so I understand that after looking through the surveillance camera footage, they were able to catch this woman, and that's when they learnt of her story. Right, the police arrested a suspect in her 50s living in the hallway of Koshiwan by tracking CCTV footage around the store. Here, Koshiwan is a type of dormitory-style single-room accommodation common in South Korea, mainly used by people in the low-income bracket for its cheap price. And through, through the investigation, the police found out that the suspect was living in the hallway of a 1.5-pound Koshiwan, which is about 5 square meters, with her mentally disabled husband in his 60s, barely making ends meet with the stolen items. Even in this biting cold weather, the couple couldn't afford to use the heating system. Yes, and just to give a sense of how small five square meters is, a king-size bed is four square meters, so it's barely more space than a a king-size bed. And two people were living there, including one suffering from a mental disability. Mm And it was seeing that scene, that's when the police decided to try and help the couple, right? Right. Realizing how difficult it was for the couple, the police, from their own pockets, bought daily necessities and food for them to use and eat, including face masks and cup noodles. The police went even further and contacted the community center and asked them to come up with plans to help the couple to prevent them from living in such poor conditions. And an official from the Busanjin police station said, quote, we decided to contact the administrative agency to prevent 
prevent a couple from being forced to steal, end quote. Yes, well, it's uh, rather heartwarming to hear a story of uh, police officers showing such compassion for mm-hmm. this couple. It is, unfortunately, a story that represents, though, uh, some of the people that are falling through the cracks of society as well. Right. But hopefully uh, this couple are able to get the assistance that they need now. Mm-hmm. OK, we'll leave it there, Diane. Thank you for bringing us those stories. Uh, we'll be seeing you next week. So until then, have a great Christmas. Oh, Merry Christmas. Next up, it's Explore Korea, a weekly segment discovering more about the cultural, historical and travel highlights that Korea has to offer. And joining us now, it's our arts and culture explorer, Anjo, who has joined us in the studio. Jo, hello. It's great to see you again. Likewise, Chung. Okay. So what are we talking about this week? Okay, so uh, we are nearing the end of this year, and today is apparently my last 2022 appearance on Korea 24. Mm. And with that in mind, a few days ago, I told our production staff that I've been contemplating discussing this particular topic as, well, kind of a year-end special. Uh, They gave me the green light, a Christmas green light, (laughs) if you will. So here we are. But um, as a curator and culture critic, I see December as an extra special time of year because it's the season where many of us enjoy a, let me put it this way, a positive paradoxical winter warmth, right? Okay. Obviously, the mercury is a bit lower. It's Mm -hmm. colder. Sure. However, we see all these warmer hearts because of the year-end slash Christmas spirit, right? Right, right. Especially here in Korea. You go to any restaurant, everybody's so jolly. You know, it's so, quote-unquote, hot in the establishment, Mm. not necessarily because of the temperature. Mm. And what about all those cafes? You see all these people writing Christmas cards over a warm cup of the cafe's Christmas edition hot drinks, right? <laughs> and what about all those resorts? Not just because the skiing season is back, but because they are enjoying that sport in the Christmas sure, mood. Sure, okay. And of course, let's not forget about all those shops. Christmas shopping, hashtag flex, right? <laughs> right, okay. And um, yeah, so after all, I believe we can safely say that pretty much no one in the Northern Hemisphere says they can't wait until Christmas comes because they love the cold weather. So many of us love and celebrate the Christmas spirit literally because of its spirit, its cultural connotations of affection, companionship, and care. However, that's precisely why for the ones who suffer the lack, if not complete, absence of companionship and care this time of year can be the exact opposite, right? Mm. The bitter and brutal cold winter winds smacking both body and soul, both literally and figuratively. Mm. For example, the Itaewon crowd crush, uh, the bereaved of that tragedy. And Mm. what about the relatively micro disasters of our respective lives, such as breakups, right? And This is, I mean, based on personal experience, I've went through a rather serious breakup uh, this time of year, a few years back. Right, okay. So I completely know what this is about. Mm. And, you know, things like losing your job, you know, things of that nature, right? Sure. So for someone like myself, again, being a curator and culture critic, the culture of Christmas naturally bakes an extra Christmas cake. How can I curate cultural events which can be a figurative furnace 
for the figuratively freezing. Mm. And through my broadcasting and writing commitments, how can I cultivate a conversation on how we can think and rethink the typical culture of a Korean year end in a more inclusive fashion? especially for the ones who so desperately need the embracing arms of inclusivity Mm. in what can be a rather depressing December. Now, on that note, this week's topic is the cultural factors behind the contemporary Korean version of Christmas and how art can play a crucially consoling role in evolving our year-end culture into a more collectively compassionate one. Yes, so while for many, Christmas is a happy and joyous time, Of course, it cannot be that way for everyone. Mm-hmm. And in fact, it could be the time where it's the most painful for a lot of people. Uh, I guess it's important not to forget that. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you think this applies to Korea specifically as well then? Because there are differences in the cultural aspects of Christmas in Korea. You and I, uh, we grew up uh, in the West, or at least spent a lot of significant time of our childhoods there. Yes. So we're perhaps familiar with the, the differences that both cultures have at this time of year. But a lot of our foreign listeners uh, might not quite know what celebrating Christmas is like here in Korea, because it is, in the end, quite different as well, right? Absolutely. And in a nutshell, the Korean version of Christmas is all about romance. It's like <laughs> a, you know, year-end Valentine's Day, if sure. you will, right? Mm. And I want to share a little story, a little conversation that I shared with our mutual friend, Alina Kwan, who's the host of Weekend Playlist here at uh, KBS World Radio. Sure, okay. But um, So uh, this year, she got married only a couple of months ago, and um, she told me how, you know, they're making their Christmas plans, and her husband is culturally a bit more Korean than she is. Mm. whereas she's culturally a bit more American, right? So when it comes to Christmas, it's like, oh, it's a family function. We should do family stuff. Whereas her husband is saying, no, 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 no. We're in Korea. This is a Korean Christmas. This is our first year spending uh, Christmas together as a married couple. So we should do couply things. Right, 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 of course. Okay. But um, yeah, I think that's kind of... uh, I wanted to share that anecdote because it really well explains how Christmas is observed here in this part of the world, right? Mm. It's far more about spending a special time with your romantic partner Mm. than enjoying family functions, especially Christmas Eve. So it's like those two days. It's a (laughs) 48-hour buildup, right, of enjoying a year-end romance. And if you think about the historical development of why Korea's Christmas is celebrated in that particular way is... I think it has a lot to do with how Christianity was introduced to Korea in the first place. Sure. Right? And because Korea, can, you know, if you think about Korea's his- history, uh, we've been so much of a predominantly conservative uh, society. And what I mean by predominantly conservative in a Korean way is that way back in the day, young people, it was very difficult for them to express their affection right. to a significant other or potential significant sure. other in public, right? And a really nice place to actually do that with a bit more freedom was church. Right. And this is okay, actually okay. why, yeah. And we, you know, sorry. many years before you and I were born, and this is something I heard from both my parents and some some of my uh, teachers way back in the day. But they said that that's why back in the day churches had a nickname called in Korean Yonedang, which literally means <laughs> the house of dating. Right. Sure. So you just tell your parents, "Hey, I'm going to church today," and of course, you know, your intentions weren't too much religious for you know uh, quite a few people. Sure. Which is quite I mean. ironic considering yes. it's Christmas. Right. And then uh, yet another factor why Christmas didn't necessarily have to develop into a family or into the holiday, in my opinion, is that 
Korea already has all these traditional holidays and cultural practices where you properly practice family functions, mm. right? Mm. So, for example, the Seol holiday, Seolal, or a Chuseok, of course. Sure. And then let's not forget Korea's unique history of economic growth, right? Think about it. Christmas season, you go mm. to all, and that's exactly why I mentioned all those shops and resorts and whatnot, <laughs> right? That we have this so-called Christmas consumerism, right? And I think that has a lot to do with how everything, again, cafes, restaurants, and public transportation here in Korea during Christmas are all open. Sure. Whereas in other parts of the world, it's not. For example, three years ago when I was spending Christmas in Dublin, I was a little bit surprised as a Korean to know that all public transportation was shut down on Christmas Day. Was that something that could never happen in this country, right? <laughs> sure. So you put all that together, and there's another reason why I believe Christian, I'm sorry, a Korean Christmas economics matters. It's because it has a rather significant cultural ramification. Think sure. about it, economics. Sure, sure. It's all about profit maximization, so therefore you're focusing mm. on mainly the bright side or the biggest money-making side, right? So, right, exactly. Of so romance. So here in Korea, Christmas is more about... Uh, Romance, especially for young couples, and it's more about consumerism, mm-hmm. uh, you're essentially saying. With that all in mind then, as a cultural critic, someone involved in the arts, what are you suggesting then for people who do find it difficult to find perhaps meaning at this time of year? And for Korean society as a whole, how can we develop a more inclusive Christmas culture, which is what you were trying to get at earlier? Well, I have to, I have to say that question is by far the most challenging question for someone like myself. And Mm. it's something that I've been continuously asking myself for quite some time, but um, I'll try my best. Um, I have three suggestions for our listeners today. Number one is try appreciating masterpieces of art which were inspired by tragedies identical to yours. Mm. For instance, if you've recently experienced something like losing your child or an extremely turbulent romantic relationship, or see even both simultaneously. What I would suggest is go to your nearest library and find any book on the life and works of someone like Frida Kahlo, Mm. right? And if you know anything about Frida Kahlo, uh, at the age of 18, she experienced a rather really, really, really nasty traffic collision. And because of that, uh, it turned her body into a state where she could no longer go through a full pregnancy. That's why she experienced two abortions and one miscarriage, Mm -hmm. right? And if you take a look at her art, it has a huge influence and inspiration onto her entire body of work. And then what about her marriage with Diego Rivera, right? It was a really, really turbulent one. And what about her relationship, the affair she had with Leon Trotsky? And I think it's really interesting that we mentioned uh, that relationship with Trotsky because he was in exile in Mexico. That was mm. the country where eventually he was assassinated. But I, as a Korean, I guess I wonder, what if it wasn't Stalin but Trotsky? How would have that influenced the entire world, including the two Koreas, right? So these kind of things are that I have in mind. Now, am I saying that if you enjoy or appreciate Carlos' works, when you're going through a tough time this time of year, will that be a silver bullet? No, I'm not saying that. But I will say this. There are a small number of appreciators just like you, and there are a small number of artists just like Kahlo. So you can enjoy and celebrate that kind of a solidarity. Right. Art can be uh, an expression of all ranges of emotion and experience, and I guess someone could find solace or almost uh, 
even companionship or empathy mm -hmm. uh, through that as well. And that can be sort of therapeutic in a way, I guess, yes. that's what you're trying to get at. Uh, what about the second effort uh, and third effort you, you, you're going to suggest? Is, this is basically, please not forget that you're not alone, mm. right? Even though if you feel like you're just most alone in the entire world, right? So try to make a collective effort. For example, utilize social media. Uh, find the courage to express that I'm going through this kind of time, this time this, this time of year, share your stories. And if you can, get with a few friends who are going through similar times and organize events where you can get together, have a few drinks or uh, uh, the Christmas drinks that I mentioned earlier even and try to celebrate Christmas in that kind of a way. After all, it is about companion and care, right? How about that? Right. It may be difficult, but try to reach out. Mm -hmm. uh, put your energy into reaching out to people and if you can. one last thing, because we're running out of time, I just want to make this real quick, is that please, please, please remind yourself that hardships happen at any time of year. Therefore, it's completely okay to not be okay during the year-end season as well. So please don't go too hard on yourself. Mm. And if you're not one of those people, if you're having a perfectly good time, Please make sure that you're checking on the people who matter to you the most in life, right? Are they doing well as well? After all, how could that not be the ideal fashion of a true Christmas spirit? Well, Joe, it's clear that uh, what you're saying is coming from your heart today. And we certainly hope that, some, that for some of our listeners who perhaps might be going through a difficult time or able to find some solace uh, in your words... Uh, if you are truly in a difficult place, of course, then reaching out to more professional help is perhaps best, but trying to find comfort in art is perhaps something that can be explored as well. Mm -hmm. Joe, thank you for that. We certainly hope that you have a happy Christmas thank this so year. And uh, we'll see you again in the new year. Take Lovely. care. And that brings our show to a close. Now, Career 24 will be taking a Christmas break tomorrow. So no show tomorrow, but we will be airing an old special. In the meantime, we'll be back on Monday. So do join us again then to get your daily dose of career news analysis. In the meantime, we hope our listeners have a wonderful Christmas and a great weekend. I've been your host, Kwon Jang-ho, and thank you, as always, for listening. Goodbye.